0: Sazgoni, Uvan Shama, Odi Shama, Gmtaav Shmini, Shiva lilim Yehad E'Dubo Kehad, Onim B'Tzliil Melukad, Tav LeTav LeAtikraf, Ya'ir Panim. I never was a man. Number- alleine- <in murps>
1: Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for joining. Tonight's class was dedicated by Darun and Chana ha, Muller. And this is in honor of Darun's, Darun's mother's yard site, uh, which is going to be on the 25th of Kislev, the first day of Hanukkah, tomorrow night. Rivka Bas Yeshua Fal Kalevi, and also in honor of Chana's father's yard site. On the same day, Shmuel Shachna ben Baruch, may both of them have a tremendous, tremendous alias Shama to the greatest of heights, may they channel lots of blessings to you and your family, for all that you need and all that you want, and a very, very, very happy, wonderful, beautiful, beautiful Hanukkah to you. Another dedication tonight was by an anonymous in honor of his birthday, which is tonight, may Hashem bless anonymous. With a whole lot of, not anonymous blessings, like real, real revealed blessings. And everything. Pranasa barakava and only mazal and bracha and only only good things. Thank you so much for that dedication. Okay, tonight we have, a, I think, an exciting class. Let's see how it's going to go. Um, the question I have tonight is, what is special with Hanukkah five seven seven eight, we celebrate Hanukkah all the time. But what is like what is super special? The year Hanukkah five seven seven eight, and not just you know to point to something that's going on and say wow that happens in Hanukkah time. You know the world is definitely uh, some interesting things happening. Uh, but uh, I mean to say. Something relating to the true depth of Hanukkah Revealing itself in the year 5778 And something that has connected to the year The number of the year 5778 This is crazy What I'm about to share is really, really crazy Only if Hashem should help that we should be able to work this through Okay, so now I hope you're excited Because I am and when, I'm, when I am so excited at the beginning of the class, I'm simply r- worried for containment as we move later in the class, but Hashem should help me control myself too, and everything should be good. Okay. So, um, in order to appreciate what's special in the year 5778 in Hanukkah, we really need to look into the very, very beginning of Hanukkah and study it from its very, very source. The Talmud tells us in tractate Shabbos, Mesech des Shabbos, Chof Aleph Amid Beis, that's page 21 on the second side, the Talmud asks the question, my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? And, and the Talmud answers, and Rashi says, for what miracle did we, for what miracle did they institute Hanukkah? And Rashi answers, the Torah of Rabbanon, the Rabanan learned, on the twenty-fifth of Kislev, there are the days of Hanukkah. Are eight days, and these days we're not going to make any eulogies. We're not going to fast on these days, and they give a reason why it's a, it's a holiday. When the Greeks came into the into the um, temple, uh, they defiled all the oils that were in the heichal. And when the kingdom of the Chashmenayim, which were the Kohain Matas Yahu, Kohen, uh, this was the kingdom of, usually the, the kings come from Shevet uh, Yehuda, kingdom's descendants of David, Melech, and the like, but temporarily in that time there was a Chashmenayim, a Chashmenayi kingdom, these were Kohanim, and when they prevailed, and they were able to fight against, revolt against the Greeks, of Nitzcham Batku, they they did an inspection. Veloy matzu elapach echad chelshem, and they only found one jug of oil, shohayyeh munach bechaisamish al kohen which was sealed closed with the seal of the high priest, the kohen gadol. V'loy ayabayelah hadlak yom echad, and they only had, they were only able to light it for one day. Nasa by nes, and the miracle happened. Vidliku menu shmoy neyomim, and they lit the menorah for eight days. Uh, they needed it for eight days because it would have taken eight days to to be able the process of making new oil, uh, the olive groves were at a distance. They were only able to manufacture the new oil eight days, eight days later. So they needed the menorah to burn for eight days. God made a miracle for them the the oil that was only supposed to last for one night for the seven lamps of the menorah lit and burnt for eight days long. The next year, they instituted Chanukah to be a, 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 um, a holiday with praise, by saying Hallel and giving thanks. That's how the Gemara describes the miracle of Chanukah, why we celebrate Chanukah. The halachic authorities, pre-chadash, of the great rabbis, asked the question, I mean, how do we ignore the greatest miracle? The Jewish people defeated the Greeks. The Greeks were the mightiest, they were the, the Greek Assyrians. They were so inequipped to be able to fight this war, yet they fought this war, they won. It was one of the most spectacular victories of all time. So, how do we ignore this? And Hanukkah, the Gemara doesn't say anything about that victory. So, the Mefarshim say, the Meiri, um, and uh, Meiri is one of the Rishonim, he says, and the Prehadish agrees to that idea. And he says, no, Hanukkah, we are celebrating both miracles. There's the miracle of the victory. Um, and that, that, that um, we're, we're celebrating that Judaism was saved. Uh, Judaism was almost obliterated. It was almost wiped out. And the Jewish people um, were, were we, we won that war. And, 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 and for that reason, Jews are here and Judaism and Torah and mitzvot are still alive today. So of course we commemorate that as well, and he says an interesting thing. That's the reason why we commemorate the first day of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, Hanukkah, is an eight Hanukkah is an eight day. Hanukkah is an eight day holiday, and the miracle of Hanukkah really the famous question that the Beit Beis Yosef, why do we have Hanukkah for eight days when the miracle was only seven days? because the oil was sufficient for one day. It was only that they didn't have enough for the other remaining seven days. So what was so, so the miracle happened only on the second day and onward. So if we're commemorating a miracle, we should commemorate only from day number two through day number eight, which is seven days. Why have a commemoration eight days? The first day is not a miracle. So he says, the first day, we are commemorating not the miracle of the oil, but we're commemorating the miracle of the victory, the stunning victory of the Jewish people. And he says, oh, but then why do we light the order the first day? We should light the order for seven days and so on. Because it's not only the victory of the, the war, it's also the miracle in finding that one jug of oil. Because at that time, as the Greeks came in, they intentionally, as we're soon going to see, contaminate. It wasn't just that they stuck the, their hands you know, they touched everything and, and the oil became contaminated. They intentionally opened up all the bottles and contaminated the oil, as we're soon going to see why they did that. So the fact that they missed this one bottle, this one jug of oil, and this was saved, this itself, and they were able to find it, this itself was a miracle, and that's the reason we commemorate and celebrate the first day of Hanukkah. That is the Me'iri's explanation. This fits very well with Maimonides. Take a look at Maimonides, where Maimonides speaks about the laws of Hanukkah. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe says something very special. He says, you see clearly in Rambam, that Rambam is of the opinion that the, commem- the, 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 the commemoration of Hanukkah is including both miracles. How do we see that? The Rambam begins his his... He, in Rambam and Mishneh Torah, in the laws of Hanukkah, begins telling us why we celebrate Hanukkah. He says, This is the first Pere Gimel, Hilchus Hanukkah, third chapter. It's the third chapter of Hilchus Hanukkah, but it's really the first chapter, because the first two are dealing with Purim. It's Hanukkah and Purim. So the first two chapters deal with Purim. Here is where Rambam begins to tell us about Hanukkah. And Rambam says, in the second temple, when the Greeks were ruling over the Jewish people, they decreed, Terrible decrees on the Jewish people. They interfered and they tried to stop our religious practices. They did not allow us to occupy ourselves in Torah study and a mitzvah observance. And then, as we said earlier, it began as a religious war, but then they plundered their money. And they and they violated their daughters. It was a horrible time. They went into the Hegel, by and they breached breaches, the and they, and they defiled everything that was pure. The and it was the Jewish people had a lot of suffering from before the, the Greeks. The and they oppressed them with a horrible, with a very great oppression achriham alayman lekay avay until god had mercy on us ve shi on miadam and he saved them from their hands ve tzilam and they were saved ve gov ruben hayashmenoi yakohan magdoylem and the sons of hasmenoi Mattisio and his children, the great Kohanim, vahargum. they killed them Va Yisrael meyadam, and they saved the Jewish people from their hands. the Hamidu Kohanim and they appointed a king from the Kohanim from the, as a Cohen king, the Yisrael and the Jewish sovereignty, the Jewish kingdom returned, al, Shana more than 200 years the Jewish people continued to live in the land until the Romans came and destroyed the second Temple. That's the first law, okay? Realize that. Halacha Aleph, concluded. So far the Rambam is not talking anything about candles, about lighting a menorah. He's speaking about the horrible times that the Greeks and the oppression of the Greeks against the Jewish people and the, and the, uh, the fact that the Jewish people were able to rise up again and they were successful in their uprising. Now Rambam says in his second halacha, when the Jewish people prevailed over their enemies, the ibdom, and they finally wiped them out. They actually finished the war, war on the 24th. Actually, tonight is the day that they achieved victory, meaning tonight, tomorrow, the 24th. And on the 25th, that's why Hanukkah is called Chanukah. One of the reasons is Chanu, we rested, the war was over on the 25th. So on the 24th, was when they achieved, they finally drove the, the, the Greeks out of the land and they were able to establish, and they were able to rest on the 25th. But on the 25th day, the Nikhtasullah Hechal, they went into the, the, the temple which lay in shambles, which was all defiled and horrible. The Lohimatsu Shemen was a horrible mess and they couldn't find any clean oil, good, and they lit the Neiros for eight days. That's the second law. Now comes the Rambam in the third halacha, halacha Gimel. and for this reason, hiskinu the wise men, our sages of that generation, instituted that these eight days, which begin on the 25th, should in, in Kislev, continuing into the month of Teves. Okay, these last these days from the twenty fifth and onward, these days should be hear what, what Rambam says. You simcha, days of joy, and praise to God. Umadlikemem and we light the menorah the erev in the evening and so on. So you see clearly the Rebbe says that Rambam says that our commemoration of Hanukkah is after the first two halachot, after the first two laws. He says umepneize. And because of this, what's this? All the, whatever was mentioned before, these two miracles, that's why we make Hanukkah. And therefore he says an amazing thing. Rambam, paid attention to the words of the Rambam, Rambam says the, eighth day, the eight days of Hanukkah are days of simcha, of joy, and days of halal." Now this idea that Hanukkah that is a time of joy is a novelty of Rambam. The Gemara doesn't mention any joy on Hanukkah. Purim is a day of joy. According to the Gemara, the Gemara says the days are days of halal, of praise, v'hoidah, and giving thanks. Not joy. Now what is joy? Now we know Purim, there is great joy, and part of the joy of Purim means that we have to make a special suda, a special festive meal. Chanukah, there's no obligation to have a festive meal of Chanukah, even though it says it's good to party. That's what it says. But it's no obligation to have like on every day of Hanukkah that we have to have a special Hanukkah meal like on Purim. But Rambam says we have to be happy throughout Hanukkah. There are days of simch. Now the Gemara, the Talmud doesn't say that. Rambam derives everything from Talmud. So the Rebbe says an interesting thing. The reason why Rambam says that we have to have a joyous, that Hanukkah has to be joyous and the Talmud doesn't mention it is because the Talmud understood that we have a joy on Hanukkah. Why? Because they, because that's self-understood. We had this unbelievable victory. When the Jewish people were saved, especially like there was no future, we would have been wiped out. At least Judaism, Jewish practice, doesn't mean that, it, that, that, that physically the Jewish people would have been wiped out. I mean, obviously, the Jewish people survived the exile only because of our Jewish observance. But put that to the side, the, Judaism definitely would have been wiped out, and the great victory that we had, that we were able to have our, 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 our freedom, free ourselves from, and that deserves, the military victory deserves a time of simcha, of joy. That's why Hanukkah is a day of simcha. When the Talmud asks, my Hanukkah, what's Hanukkah? The Talmud is asking, why do we have two things? Why, were, why was Hanukkah instituted as days of praise, Hallel, and Thanksgiving? That's the question. And also, why eight days? If it's because of the victory, the victory, it's a one-day celebration. Okay, you know, it depends if there's a walled city, not a walled city, but everywhere only celebrates one day. So Hanukkah should also be one day. So why do we have Hanukkah eight days? And why do we have Hanukkah as a time of Hallel? For that, the Talmud says, that's because of the miracle of the lamps. And that burnt for eight days. So Rambam understood that the Talmud is not even talking about that, because that's obvious. That Hanukkah is a time of simcha of joy. So what we really have now, what's the conclusion? Chanukah is celebrated because of two miracles. Miracle number one is the victory. For that, Hanukkah is time of festivity. Then there is another miracle. The lamps burnt for eight days long. For that, we celebrate Hanukkah by lighting the menorah. We say, Al Anissim, Thanksgiving to Hashem. During the Shemona Esrei, during when we bench, when we do Birchis Hamazon, the grace after meal. And we say halal, two things. It would seem, however, that the two are two separate things. Of course, one follow the other, but they're not necessarily deeply connected, two separate things. Problem with that is, if they would be two separate things, as we're just mentioning, then we would have to say that the joy, the fact that Hanukkah is a time of Simcha, again, not everybody agrees that Hanukkah is a time of Simcha. But Ramam is of the opinion that Chanukah is a time of simcha a time of joy then really we should only have the joy for the first day because again the victory was only a the victory you celebrate like Purim as a one day thing the eight days is only because of the menorah the miracle that happened with the menorah so if we're going to say that Chanukah has two parts to it it has a it has a it has a celebration of the miraculous victory for that it's a time of joy and then we have the seven days that were the eight days that were celebrating makers, the menorah. Then we really should have um, two things. The first day of Hanukkah should be a day of simcha. We should have, really, in a sense, it should be like Purim that on that day we have a big festive meal and so forth. And then we continue for the entire week saying halal and so on and so forth. But it's not that way. Rambam says the entire week or the whole eight days is yamei simcha, or days of joy. And also uh, days of Halal Vahaydah. So you see that these two things are intertwined with each other. And another proof to that. After we light the menorah every night of Hanukkah, we sing or say Haneirois Halalu. We say a special passage declaring why we're lighting the menorah. And in that passage of Anei Resololo we say anisim, val aniflois, val on the miracles and the wonders and the saving that you saved that to, and the Al yadei Kohanecha through the Kohanim which, what's that saving? What was that salvation that the Jewish people had? The salvation that we had? We're talking about the victory. But hold it! You're now declaring why you're lighting the menorah. And the menorah, the Talmud is not connecting it to the victory. The Talmud is saying that the menorah is lit because of the miracle of the menorah. So why is it that we're declaring and we're, saying, and we're saying it's because of the salvation? Is a sign that the two things are enmeshed together. When we're lighting the menorah, included in the menorah is the victory. Included in the victory is also the menorah. The two miracles, even though they're two separate miracles, are intertwined with each other. Another proof to that. So to understand, what is the meaning of that? How does that work? What's the, what's the deep underlying connection of these two miracles, how one of them is infused within the other one? So to understand this, we have to get a little bit deeper into the story of Hanukkah. What happened? So here's the thing. The Greeks... When the, we know that the difference between Hanukkah and Purim, Purim is celebrated in a very physical way. We have a big meal, we send gift packages, food packages to each other, and we, and, and that's that, and we drink, and that's the mitzvah of how we commemorate Purim. Hanukkah has more of a spiritual feel to it. Hanukkah, the main commemoration, is through lighting lamps, and fire represents the soul. Ner Hashem nishma zadam. We're bringing light to the world. Of course, we have latkes and donuts and all of that, but that's like secondary. The main thing of Hanukkah is lighting the menorah, which, is a, which, which represents the triumph of the spirit over matter. The, 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 the neshama, the soul, the spirit, the Torah and the mitzvahs are compared to a lamp, right? Nerasham Nishma the soul is compared to a lamp. Kiner mitzvah Torah or the mitzvah is compared to a lamp, the Torah is compared to a, a flame, a fire, or a light. Good, and that's how we commemorate Hanukkah. The reason for that is was because the persecution, the essential persecution of Hanukkah, was very different than the persecution of Purim. Purim, it was anti-Semitism. Haman was a racist. He was an anti-Semite. He could not be, or the Jewish physical the presence, the physical presence of Jews in this world irked him. He wanted to eradicate every Jew, similar to Hitler, to eradicate the physical existence of the Jewish people. That's why, and it wasn't a religious war. Haman didn't care whether you were religious or not. Jew, your fact that one was a Jew, you had Jewish blood in you, was what bothered Haman. Therefore, when we commemorate, we commemorate the physical survival of the Jewish people. The Greeks, Assyrians, their war was a spiritual war. They did not mind Jews in the world, quite on the contrary. The Jews were the per- perfect people for the Greeks because the Greeks were a sophisticated people. They celebrated the arts, they celebrated the sciences. They were great philosophers, they were great thinkers. They weren't primitive, they didn't have a primitive culture. They weren't backwards people. They were like the future. They were the, they, they, they were the, um, um, the modern ones. So they appreciated the Jewish mind, the the greatness, and they didn't even... But their war was against Jewish practice, against the religion of the Jewish people. Now, to take that a step deeper, and again, being that that's what they wanted to annihilate, that's why the victory, the way we celebrate it, is more of a spiritual, because it's the victory of our soul. It's the triumph of light over darkness. But if we take it a step deeper... The Greeks didn't even mind our observance of Torah and mitzvot. That did not bother them. What bothered the Greeks more than anything else was the super rational attachment of Jews to the the Torah and the mitzvot because Torah and mitzvot are godly. What hurt the Greeks, what hurt and what bothered the Greeks more than anything else was not the, the Torah and the mitzvot per se but the divinity of the Torah. The divinity of the Torah, that's what bothered them. The fact that this is a godly discipline, that the Torah is given to us from Hashem, this is Hashem's mitzvahs. It's for that reason that their main opposition were against the mitzvahs that don't make any sense. Meaning generally, you know, you look at the Torah, the Torah is a beautiful way to live. Most of the mitzvot, a lot, or at least many, many of the mitzvahs of the Torah, can be explained in humanistic terms. It's full of compassion and caring. It tells you how to treat a stranger, don't oppress a stranger, to love the stranger, to love the orphan, to love to be charitable, to be giving, to be sensitive, not to oppress, not to not to cause any harm, to be responsible, to pay back people if you damaged. I mean, I mean, it's basically foundations of civilization. These things make a lot of sense. And there's a tremendous logic the Talmud is filled with the deepest logical um, explanations and so on and so forth. It's, it, it's, I mean, the Jewish people were always known to be the people of the book, the people of the great minds. And the Talmud dev- developed the Jewish mind. So the Greeks didn't mind that. that they were, they're, they're, they're okay with that. What bothered them was that the Jewish people cherished the Torah and the mitzvahs because the Torah is Divine. Because the Torah is coming from God. And therefore, whether we understand the mitzvah or whether we don't understand the mitzvah, we simply obey the mitzvah because God says so. And not only that, even when we understand it, we don't do it because it makes sense to us. We do the mitzvah simply because God commanded us so that we and we feel that we through and we feel and through that we achieve a connection to God. When I say God, we mean God's infinite God has an infinite transcendental being, one that is utterly incomprehensible and utterly inconceivable. The Greeks had a problem with that. They worshipped the human being. They worshipped the human mind. To believe and to have submission. That's the whole idea. To to, to have what we call bittle and submission to a being that's infinitely bigger than their minds. To totally surrender themselves to God as that they couldn't do. And that they, and that's what bothered them. That's what they couldn't handle. And it bothered them so much that there are a people that are connected to God, to God's, to, to an infinite God that infinitely transcends reason and logic. And that's what they wanted to uproot. And that's what they were fighting against. So that's why we say in the Alanisim mechukke ritzaynecha. Those mitzvahs that we do because they're God's will, not because they make sense. Chukim, chukim means laws that are that don't make any sense. They're ab- above knowledge, they're above reason. And it is for that reason that the Greeks... And we're soon going to see its modern day application. This is huge. Because we realize that this, this Greek idea is very, 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 very much alive today as a philosophy, even within the Jewish people. where we look at everything just through our, our human minds, and that becomes the ultimate barometer. That becomes the ultimate measure thing of how I, how I see the Torah. If it makes sense to me, and if there are certain things in the Torah that don't make sense to my mind, and say in today's modern world, so-and-so is not, doesn't have to be kept, and so on and so forth, because we can understand that that's the way it was way back then, but now it doesn't apply because we have other ways of dealing with so-and-so, or better ways so we can drop the Torah. It's because one is taking the Torah with the limitations of the human mind, and one is dropping or not connecting to the true essence of the Torah, is that Torah is the unfathomable wisdom and unfathomable will of God Himself. And it's infinitely higher than our understanding and appreciation. It's a miracle that there are certain parts of Torah that we could understand if this is God's mind. God lowers the Torah down that humans could have a grasp in certain parts of it. But the Greeks, this they couldn't comprehend. That's the reason why when they came into the temple, the Greeks immediately went into the temple. They went into the temple, and it's interesting. They didn't want to, the Greeks were not, didn't want to interfere with the temple worship as, as is. If they would have wanted to stop the temple worship, the, the, the service that we serve God in the temple, they also had temples and they also had sacrifices and the like to their gods. What bothered them was the, this, as I mentioned, this, God, this, this, this submission to a higher power, this total submission of the Jewish, especially from smart people. You see, if they saw a pagan, a pagan uh, people that, that are acting in this irrational way and they're totally, you know, have certain rituals that don't make any sense, it was okay because they said, you know, these people are not smart people, they're not sophisticated people. But a sophisticated people like you, you're an the v'navon. You're a people of the mind. You're a people of wisdom. You're smart people. So why don't you question this, this, this blind faith? The fact that you keep certain things that don't make any sense. So how did they illustrate that? When they came into the temple and they wanted to stop our service, they didn't, If they want, what they could have done is they could have taken all the oil and they could have broke, taken all the bottles, shattered the bottles, spilled the oil on the ground, they're finished, there's no more oil. They didn't do that. They cracked open all the seals, they stuck their hands in and they touched it. Why did they touch it? They wanted us to light the menorah, but they wanted us to light the menorah with impure oil. With defiled oil. When you say oil becomes defiled, why is it defiled? Because a Gentile touched it. Does that make any sense? The guy went to the shower. He cleaned himself. He's very, very clean. What kind of a contamination? And you touch it, it's not becoming defiled. And the Gentile touched it, it does become... It's an irrational thing. It doesn't make... It's super logical. So God said! There's no... There is no other explanation other than this is God's will. That... The Jew is not contaminating it. but you can also contaminate the oil. If, if for whatever reason he's not in a pure state, fine. If the Gentile touches it, it becomes defiled. It's not the most... It's not, it's not a logical thing. It actually makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. Because it makes a, a very, very absolute distinction between Jew and Gentile. And from a humanistic place, from a place of compassion and so forth, you might think, come on, don't say this. This is, this is, this is a terrible thing that you're saying this, right? But yet, that's a rule. And the Greeks couldn't handle it. So what did they do? Contaminated that oil. And said, light your menorah with that oil. Let's take it a step deeper. Oil represents intellect. Oil represents wisdom. Oil produces light. And light is the light of, of, of wisdom, the light of the mind. The Jewish people in the temple lit the menorah. It meant, and we know, that this was supposed to be, represent a light to the nations. A light to the entire world. Why? Because in the, in the temple, they, the, the, verse, the, the, the Talmud says, does God need the light? Hashem doesn't need the light. It was so that the light of the holy temple can go out and illuminate the entire world. The question is, the Greeks said, you Jews have so much to offer, you Jews have so much to give. You mean, look, look at your sophistication, look what a beautiful Torah. Your Torah is so moral, your Torah is so ethical, your Torah is so, is so, so, it has so, there's so much generosity and compassion and kindness. You can be a light unto the nations, but take the godly thing out of it. Use oil, but use contaminated oil. It's special because it's great, because it makes sense. No. Because to a Jew, the Torah is special, not because it's, intellectually superior to other disciplines. To, Jew, to a Jew, the Torah is great, not because it's so, there, there's so much wisdom to it. The mind is, it causes such, such development of a person's mind that elevates the human mind and the human spirit and it makes you into a good person. That's not what Torah is. It's not about making you into a good person, into a smart person and living the best life. The Torah is to live a godly life. To fulfill God's wishes and what Hashem wants. And to connect and to bring Hashem into the world. That's the greatness of the Torah. And that's why I know that doesn't work. We can't use contaminated oil. But they wanted us precisely to use contaminated oil. Let's apply this to the modern day for a moment. You know, there is a, a movement. I'm not going to get into everything, but there is a movement within the world. Very, very relevant. Very, very, very strong. Very powerful in which, on, 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 on externally, it looks like something extremely, extremely pious. There is a movement of equality. There's a movement of... of, of uh, a, a, a movement to bring um, a very humane movement. In other words, to bring liberty, freedom, and rights to every person to eradicate any bit of what we might call bigotry or so on and so forth or and therefore right so and this is a movement right whether the movement in Europe, whether it's in all the colleges and in in in, 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 in dominating the media, kind of a a a a a a movement looking for world peace working for world peace and looking to harmonize everybody and be accepting of everybody and every lifestyle and every way of life and so on and so forth. And this is, it seems to be so beautiful. It seems to be the ultimate sophistication of mankind, reaching its ultimate completion where all human beings can live in peace and harmony. There's only one problem. The problem is that that movement hates God. At the core of it is do not bring God into it. We will achieve world peace. We will achieve acceptance of everybody. Everybody is wonderful and everybody is good. But the moment you introduce that, that that there is God and that a will of Hashem, that Hashem or God has some will in it, then that becomes something that has to be fought and has to be and has to be with with, with, with something that needs to be fought with every. It's like a war, outright war. It's it's it's, it's so amazing. And it's interesting that at the core of those who are campaigning and fighting for world peace, out of that humanistic um, sense of morality and and decency and compassion, included in that war, you see, how do you know if it's, you know, to be able to tell if it's kosher, if it's coming from a holy place or not a holy place, is first of all the fact that it can't stand religion is already an indicator. The fact that, any, that it wants to do away with any restrictions that are related to God, that God set up in the world, whether the sanctity of marriage, where God decided how marriage needs to be, or that marriage is between a man and a woman, or, or the like. But included in, in this war it's for some reason the Palestinian cause is the ultimate, ultimate. And that the Palestinian cause is like, this is, at the, this is the cause of everything. If we can only, only care for the Palestinian, for the poor Palestinian people, and that Israel is the ultimate aggressor, not to, now, if you think about it, okay, we know when Mashiach will come. The land of Israel has been given to the Jewish people. By God. Fine. Palestinian people... Hashem will provide for them a place to live. They won't be in the land of Israel. Hashem will provide to them a place to go. That's that's just the truth, that's what the Torah says. There are people in the world far more oppressed than the Palestinian people. People in the world that are suffering with horrible... There are are civil wars, there are places where people, where women are violated, where thousands of people are tortured to death. And all of that is is not important. It's the Palestinian people. Why? What's at the root? What's at the root? What's at the core? The core over here is this Hellenistic movement. It's a movement to resolve the world's problems, but keep God out of it. And since the root of Hashem in the world is Yerushalayim, is Jerusalem, and the Holy Temple, that's where God resides, that's the place where Hashem's light comes to the world, and being that they don't want God. So even though externally it it has a face of kindness and compassion, and quite on the contrary, if you don't agree with these views, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a religious fanatic, and so on and so forth. But really, at the core, it's a Hellenistic movement. That's what it is. It's exactly like the Greeks. The desire is, keep God out of the picture. So let's push God out of it. If we push God out of it, obviously the hottest topic is the Palestinian people, because again, this is all subconscious. I'm not saying consciously people understand this that God's presence in the world is related to Jerusalem. It's related to the Beis Hamikdash, but subconsciously, this klipa, this element, and it's let's and understand something. It's not just it's in the Jewish people as well. What do I mean by that? the movements of of, of changing and adapting the Torah, which where people wanted to do to the Torah, the reform movement and the like, to take the laws of the Torah and to change them, and to say, well, this doesn't apply. The laws of kashrus had to do with cleansingness and so on and so forth. Humanity, the animals. What happens if today we find, maybe, in people's minds, a more humane way to kill an animal, and therefore, what? So you shouldn't do shechita anymore, or the like. Obviously, that's manip- That's playing with God's Torah. And Hashem said something, so God said so. It's the, it's the lack. It's the unwillingness to appreciate and to accept that there is a higher authority. And that Torah is divine, and it's not meant for human minds to manipulate and to play with it. So what's so bad? You're going to say, what's so bad? So what is? Okay, so let's push. Is is, is it really evil? That's the question. Is it evil? And people have a hard time with that. It's not evil. It's are good people who want good things. But the truth is, it is evil. Not, Not necessarily intentional, but it is evil. Why is it evil? What is God supposed to do if he wants a relationship with the world? God who created the world, who made this world for one purpose because he wants a relationship with the world. How can he possibly have a relationship with the world if people don't want to, in order to have a relationship, they have to be able to accept a God, that is, accept him. God wants to be in your life. He wants to be involved with you. But for him to be involved with you, you have to be able to accept him as he is, and he's infinite and infinitely transcending your mind. So He wants to lift you up beyond beyond your limitations, beyond your boundaries, and allow you to have a relationship with Him. So imagine, and that's the the whole reason the world exists. That's its whole whole purpose, for the world to ultimately have an ultimate relationship with God. So that the world can go on existing forever and ever, reveling in God's light. But if, God forbid, you want to shut God out of the world, you're basically, and these people don't realize... Obviously, what is really being done, imagine the world being pushed into a, into a black hole, being cut off from its connection to God and actually plummeting into total oblivion. That's really what it is. Because it's really, if you're disconnecting the world from its creation, you're literally killing eight billion people. And you're killing a world with all of its godly potential. Obviously, no one is thinking this way. But that's the truth. If God created a world because God wants a relationship with his world and even if you say keep the Torah and keep the mitzvot and so on and so forth but disconnect from the super rational, disconnect from Hashem from it, that is evil. It's a, destru- it's a destruction of the entire purpose of creation. That is bad. But that was the, what the Hellenists wanted then. And that is the Hellenistic movement today as well. So what did God provide for the Jewish people? In order for for the connection, in order for this to be maintained, in order for holiness and, and the relationship of Hashem to the world where Hashem is channeled to the creation through the Jewish people, through our transcendental observance of His mitzvahs, in order for this to happen, God provided the miracle. And what was the miracle? The miracle was that they got to light the menorah with kosher oil, with pure oil. Not meaning to say, no, we will light up the world, but we will light up the world with godly light. Not with a Greek, not with a Hellenistic light, not with a Greek light. We will light up the world with a Jewish light, with the light of the pure infinite will and wisdom. Of our creator. So what happened? In order for that to happen, a miracle happened. But why did it have to happen through a miracle? We know God doesn't like to do miracles. Why, whenever he can, he leaves things to the natural. Why did it have to happen through a miracle? If God knew everything, he could have made sure that the Greeks, obviously, it was God who orchestrated that that one jug of oil should be left over. God could have made that they should find enough oil to burn eight days. Why did he have to make it? They have to find the jug for one day and then that will work and burn for eight days. And why was the miracle for eight days? The miracle could have, could have burned for? The miracle could have, could have burned for? for, uh, for uh, but I, I mean, technically they needed it for eight days because that's how long it took to make the oil. But that whole setup that it should take eight days to make the oil, that too is, is by divine providence. So why was it eight days? And the answer to that is, there is, here's something very, very beautiful. When God comes down to the Holy Temple, when Hashem came down for the first time to reside in the Beit HaMikdash, the first time we made for Hashem a Beit HaMikdash, we made for Hashem a Mishkan, it says, Vaihi Bayom Hashmini, it was on the eighth day that God came to rest. The kleokar one of the great commentators on the Chumash, explains why did it happen on the eighth day. And he says an amazing thing. He says, the reason why it happened um, is he brings a medrash. And before he says the Medrash, the fact that it happened on the eighth day, right in the beginning of Parshashmini, Kedusha Beyeser Great Holiness. Kikol mispar because the number seven is always weekday, mundane, or mispar Shmini, and the number eight, Kodesh is holy. Kedasa Medrash, the Medrash says, kol shel Moshe, all the praise of Moshe Rabbeinu, haya ba'uz was with the word uz. What's uz? Uz is Aleph. When Moshe Rabbeinu came to Pharaoh, it said, it says, May Uz Basi Leparo, from when I came to Pharaoh. And then by the Shira, when we, when we went through the sea, we sang, Uz Yashir Moshe. So the whole, per- Moshe Rabbeinu's taking the Jewish people out of Egypt and the whole mission of Moshe Rabbeinu was related to the word Uz. What's Uz? Uz is an Aleph connected to the Zion. Aleph Zion, which is number eight. And the idea of Aleph Zion is that the Aleph is riding on the Zion. It's the seven, and the Aleph sits on the top of it. one is riding on seven. Why? The idea of it is, is to make God dominate Al Kol Shivas on the seven on the seven stars, whatever. and then all existences that were created in the seven days of creation. And therefore, Hashem appeared to them on this day. Because this day, number eight, this number is designated to God. He says, This day is designated to Hashem. And that's why a, a sacrifice of an animal, we have to wait till the animal is eight days old. And that's also the reason why we, when we connect to God a Jewish baby, it's when the baby is eight days old. And, the, and, and that's why it pushes away Shabbos. He says the reason why the bris milah, we do it even on Shabbos, even though it involves working on Shabbos, it's a malachah, it's one of the things you're not to do on Shabbos, prohibited work, because, hear these words, because the spiritual pushes away the physical. It means Shabbos he's referring to as physical. And the spiritual overrides the physical. That's the number eight. What is he saying? Creation is based on a system of seven. There are seven days of the week, that's time. There are 70 nations. There is also seven directions. Six, and then there's the center point, which is seven. Just like Shabbos is the center point in time. Six days, seventh day. So everything is seven. What's eight? Eight represents the supernatural. Eight represents God that transcends the world above seven. The number eight is the number of the divine. Number eight is the number of the infinite that transcends and transcends all aspects of seven. So now let's understand that. Nature, Then what comes of that is like this. Anything associated with creation is related to the number seven. And number eight represents the divine that's above. But really, let's take it a step further. Shabbos is a holy day. Shabbos is a godly day. And it says that on Shabbos is the day that God has chosen. God sanctified the day of Shabbos. Shabbos is the day we don't, and Shabbos is number seven. So what do we mean that holiness is number eight? The answer is there's two levels of holiness. There is the level of God where God descends and becomes part of the creation. The divinity, Hashem, limits, contracts His light to operate within this world, to be the source of human intelligence, to be the source of everything, of nature. But then there is God as he is above nature and above the world and above logic and above reason. The holiness of Shabbos, Shabbos is part of the the week. Even though Shabbos is holy, six days is creation. Shabbos is the divine power within creation. But it's the divine power within creation. It's not God himself. A represents Hashem himself. That's the reason why God asks us to make a bris milah, Which What's the bris milah, The covenant, the circumcision on the eighth day. What does it mean to be a Jew? What it means to be a Jew is not to be the best person you can be. What it means to be a Jew is not even to be the best person by you discovering the divine power that is within you, within your soul. What it means to be a Jew is to mean to have a connection with God's very essence. With the infinite, with Hashem as He truly is. The Jew is totally above and beyond creation. And that's why God made a covenant with us on the eighth day. It's not, a, it's not a, a limited, it's not a finite light. It's not the light of creation. It's not the power of creation. It's not the power within nature. It's an infinite power beyond it. That's exactly what the Greeks hated. That point, they couldn't, they, that's what they couldn't stand. So, one of the wars they fought, one of the mitzvahs they didn't let us keep, circumcision. They couldn't bear, they didn't, they didn't like that. That's what irked them, that's what stood totally against them. Because they worshiped perfection of the world, perfection of the human. And even if they believed in a God, it was a God that worked somehow within the parameters of science of logic. God too is limited to these powers. They didn't agree to a power that is totally beyond it all, and that has full control over everything that's, that's in, but totally above. And that's why they couldn't stand the Jewish bris milah, that covenant. What's the whole point of the Beis Hamikdash? The point of the Beis Hamikdash is to bring Hashem down Himself to the world. What's the permanent residence of the Beis Hamikdash? Yerushalayim. Right? Permanent residence of the Beis Hamikdash? Jerusalem. was the first thing that made Yerushalayim special? was the first event that happened in Jerusalem that made it special? A man was told by God, take your one and only child and sacrifice him for me. He took his one and only child and he brought him up on that mountaintop. Primitive? Crazy? Lunacy? Is this human compassion? Is this any way that we can wrap our minds around it? Doesn't it bother us every year when we read the story? It bothers us from our human lim- limited mind. But when we when our soul is on fire and we appreciate God, we appreciate relationship, we appreciate and understand that God transcends everything. And then when God asked Abraham to bring his son, he did it. There was no, wasn't a trace of logic. There wasn't a trace of reason. There was a total surrender. Because at that moment, that's what had to make Yerushalayim special. Because Avraham Avinu was connecting to the eighth dimension which is totally beyond all logic total mysterious nafesh total fanaticism in a sense but that's the only way you connect to God himself you'll say well that's so dangerous that might turn into jihad our God doesn't command us on jihad but yet the core of our relationship is a relationship that infinitely goes beyond the understanding and the limitations of man what's the one mitzvah that is like in a sense, makes, can make us uncomfortable more than any other mitzvah. The bris milah, what are you doing to this poor little baby? In a sense, you're like, you're imposing, a lot of people who dislike, the same people who were, are working for world peace and for, for all the other things that we had discussed earlier, rights for everybody and to eliminate God. Also, fight brismilla circumcision. Why? What are you doing? Let the baby make a choice. If he wants to be religious, he doesn't want to be religious, wants to connect, doesn't want to connect. The Jew says this connection between the baby and God, we don't wait till he has understanding, till there's some appreciation, some logical understanding. This is a connection of God, this is a connection of this little baby when he has absolutely zero knowledge of what's going on with him. And he is bonding with God Almighty himself. And you have to do it on the eighth day, precisely on the eighth day. When there is no understanding. Because this, this, this transcends all reason and understanding. It's that Jewish fire. It's that Akedas Yitzchak. Every time a child appears. And, right. and it's, so, it's amazing. Even Jews who generally in Judaism take the very logical and like to understand everything in logic and in reason come have the bris, the circumcision for their eight day for the baby and, and do so joyfully. You can't explain it. That's because of the Jewish soul. That doesn't come from sophisticated thinking. That comes from the fire of the Jewish soul. Even those that we might say are Hellenistic in their general approach to life, but for some reason they have that sense within their neshama, they too want their child to be in this essential bond with God himself that happens on the eighth day. That's number eight. In the temple stood the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, no one can ever walk in besides the high priest. Once a year. And when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the high priest is a person who wears eight garments. Hi, Koyengadal is connected to the number eight. He wears eight garments. Even though when he went into the Holy of Holies, he didn't wear those eight garments, but in general, he's a person who wears the eight garments, which means he represents the number eight. And he goes in to that place in completely transcending all the limitations and the boundaries of the human and entering into that infinite place. The Midrash says, with what merit does the Kohen Gadol go in to the Holy of Holies? The Midrash asks the question with it. And the Midrash answers, with the merit of the Milah, the merit of the brismila, of the circumcision. Why? You can't go into the Holy of Holies and touch the essence of God with your li- limited mind, with your limited logic. You have to go in like a baby going to its bris when he's eight days old who has absolutely no idea what's going on. Total surrender. Total, total unification with, a, with something infinitely bigger than himself. It says, B'zos Yoveh Aharon With this Aaron should come El HaKodesh to the holy. And the sages learn out the word B'zos is the same words that it says, Zois Ois Habris. This is the sign of the bris. It's the covenant. That's what the Kohen Gadol goes in. Hanukkah here. Hanukkah is the time that we... The whole war of Hanukkah was to cut the Jewish people off from this, from this, from this. To to snip this wire. To disconnect us from this transcendental unity. From the connection of Hashem Himself. Therefore, two things had to happen. Number one, the miracle... First of all, in order for us to be victorious over this, we have to re- reveal this eighth dimension. We have to reveal God that's bigger than creation. God that infinitely transcends the world. That's why it didn't come through a natural event, it had to come through a miracle. Nature is seven. Eight is the miraculous. It was a revelation of God himself. God disregarded the laws of physics. Physics was totally blown out of the window. And the fire burned, But for how long did it burn? For eight days. And where was this jug? It was a jug sealed with the seal of who? Whose seal was it? The Kohen Gadol. Number eight. This entire miracle is coming from the eighth dimension. The eighth dimension is Hashem Himself. Infinitely above creation. Even infinitely above a perfect creation. Seven is a perfect creation. Seven is a creation with utter perfection. Imagine a world where everybody in the world is in the best behavior. Everybody's in peace with each other. Everybody has tolerance. Everybody is moral. Everybody's ethical. Everybody is good. Everybody is kind. Everybody serves. And people even know Hashem. They serve God. They learn Torah. But they're perfect with the perfection of the world. Without the link to the infinite, that's Shabbos. That's a holy world. It's holy but it's, not, it's lacking the connection to the eighth dimension. Hanukkah comes to bring us this eighth, the infinite, the boundless, the, the, the idea that we're in a relationship with Hashem himself. There's no limitations. There is no boundaries. The Greeks can agree to Shabbos, but they can't agree to the brismila that they can't agree to. They can't accept the number eight. The miracle had to come from the eighth dimension, from a place utterly transcendent. Now we'll also see what really evoked this great miracle to come from the eighth place, which was the you see how this is integral to the war against the Greeks. In order to to negate the Hellenistic approach, the only answer to that was a miracle. And what and not just a miracle, but a complete supernatural miracle. Because in in miracles itself, there is two levels of miracles. There is a Shabbos miracle, and there is a Hanukkah miracle. There's a miracle of number seven, and there's a miracle of number eight. In miracles are two types of miracles, even when there's a miracle. There's a miracle that's camouflaged in nature. It works within the natural order. When, you see, something unexpected, it wasn't supposed to happen, yet... Based on that, the, the, the regular statistics, it shouldn't happen. And yet something extraordinary happened just at the right time. But you could explain it based on some reason. Like i give you a perfect example, the, the miracle of Purim. The miracle of Purim was a great miracle, but yet it was enclosed in, in politics, in what was taking place in Ahasuerus' palace. That's a miracle within nature. So what is that indicative of? It's also God. You can see the hand of God. God is pulling the strings. He's moving. He's manipulating. He's directing. He's shaping. He's forming. Yeah, but you don't see God's infinite transcendental power. You see a God who's kind of the power of the world and therefore controls the world, but he's not totally above it. But then there's a miracle that totally defies physics. It defies, it defies all the laws of nature. It cannot be. Which miracle was the miracle of the oil? It was a total transcendental, because it had to reveal to us the number eight. And that's why it burned for eight days. And it was important, because the menorah, that's the whole point. What kind of light are we bringing to the world do the Jewish people represent? What's our light? What's our illumination? Our illumination is the infinite. Our illumination is God himself. Not a limited divinity that humans can comprehend and understand. So that's why it was this miracle. What triggered the miracle to begin with? He said it came from the eighth dimension. It came from God himself. But what triggered it? What triggered it was the, the day, the, the, day the, 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 the Hashminayim, those people, the, the Maccabees, went out to fight when the war was really a impossible to win. When they went to war, they really were going on a suicide mission. They were outnumbered. They were surrounded. There was absolutely no way that they could conquer, that they can win the Greeks. It's described. You read read history. You You read how powerful that Greek army was. We just didn't have the means. Why did the Jews fight? The Jews fought because that spark of the divine woke up that insane Jewishness, that super logical fire of their soul, went to blaze and they went out to fight, even though they didn't, based on logic and reason, they would have never went to fight. Once they evoked within themselves that eighth dimension, once they triggered their circumcision, Their connection to God that defies all logic and all reasons, that means you don't make any calculations, you just do what needs to be done and trust and know that God will be behind you. They triggered the eighth dimension and they brought down the miracle. But yet, as I mentioned earlier, there were two miracles the miracle that they won the war and the miracle of of the lamps. Now, here's something very deep. What's the difference between these two miracles? The miracles of the lamp, as we mentioned earlier, is a total a total extraordinary miracle. It's a miracle that doesn't, has no 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 um explanation in 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 science It's a clear demonstration that some higher power has just now has, 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 is, is, is the cause of this There's no other explanation the mis- the miracle of winning the war is something, it's a miracle, but it's a miracle kind of within nature. Because after all, they fought. They fought the war. Similar to when we might say, like the Six-Day War. Six-Day War, we were just a small against all these Arab nations, impossible to win. But yet, even though a miracle happens, clearly a miracle, did all the Jewish people in the world become religious after the Six-Day War? Many people did, but did, oh, everybody, no. Because ultimately, you can still explain it. We had the brains, we had the knowledge, we had an amazing strategy. We caught them by surprise. So even though it was a miracle, it was the hand of God. But if one wants to argue that that there is no God and wants to believe in an atheistic uh, belief, one technically can work his way through that miracle and explain it. So I'll ask a question. If the whole miracle of Hanukkah is coming from number eight... If the miracle of Hanukkah is coming from the eighth dimension, which means it's a display from God's superpower that's infinitely ab- above creation, then why was the war? Why did, God, why did we win the war through some kind of a natural means, which, as we said earlier, is like the miracle of seven? You have divine assistance, but you're working within nature. Why didn't, why didn't we win the war in a complete, spectacular, miraculous way? For example, God could have made a big wind come and pick up all the Greek soldiers with their elephants, imagine that, put them in and have this big cloud of wherever and deposited them deep in the sea, splash, and finished. God can do whatever he wants. They could have all dropped dead like the, like the, like the, like the armies of Sanjarev, that they, they heard the angels singing in Kaputo. I mean, if Hashem is going to assist the Jewish people, why go through the bother of the people fighting and fighting and fighting and achieving victory, kind of hiding the miracle? Especially since we said earlier that the essence of the miracle is really one coming from a transcendental infinite place, because that's the whole power of Hanukkah. So let it be such a miracle. The answer is that we have to differentiate between, between the miracles that are camouflaged in nature because they essentially are coming from a lower place of the divine they're coming from a lesser power or a miracle that's camouflaged of nature in nature not because of a limitation but because of a self-imposed control where God is controlling himself to work within nature in other words there are certain things that are that, are, that, that, that we, we sometimes see as special, amazing occurrence and you can you know you say it could be co- it's not Coincidental you can see God was here but it doesn't necessarily mean that this is like a, this is God himself revealing himself it was some divine assistance within your life it's coming as we said before from the realm of seven it's not coming from the number eight but the ultimate but 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 when we see the miracle of Hanukkah that was camouflaged in nature is not because it's a lower miracle It's actually a higher miracle. It's coming from a deeper, higher place. Where is it coming from? You see like this. The the miracle of the oil was a spectacular miracle. It's showing that, it's illustrating and demonstrating that God is totally above above nature, above the world. He's infinite and he can do whatever he wants. That's that miracle. But there was a problem with it. If the salvation to the Jewish people would have also come about through this totally extraordinary, beyond otherworldly power that would have would have achieved it, we would know very clear that there is a God that's a master of the universe and it's a, ma- a power has full control over the world. But we would still not know. We would still live in a world that nature and the world that exists. There, there is a world. There is nature. And the nature is a reality that can sometimes conflict with God as well. It's possible. What's the proof? The proof is that when God wants His way, He needs to shut down nature to get His way going. Nature itself has an existence other than God. Nature itself is... Yeah, true, God created it, but once God created it, it exists. There is something in this world that has a power, and that we're, since we live usually within the natural world, we're living in somehow a semi-godly state. God controls nature, he's the source of nature, but when he needs to do something, nature itself has, will continue defying him, and you need some extraordinary power from the outside to interfere, to stop it. So what does that tell you? What does that show? What does that, what does that illustrate? That does not illustrate Hashem's ultimate power. God's ultimate truth. Because that leaves room for something other to exist that negates God, negates Hashem. The truest expression of God's real, real essence, of Hashem's true, true being, is that He is and there's none but Him. And that nature too is just Him, nothing other than Him. When that is revealed, everything in the world is synchronized with God's will everything clicks into place. That means you don't need to override the world to have the godly win. The world itself shapes itself and turns. It might need to stretch a little bit, but it stretches itself to to, to accommodate the purpose of creation, which is the Jewish people studying Torah, revealing holiness in this world. So the reason the miracle did not override nature, essentially the miracle was God himself appeared. Not just in the miracle of the lamps, which was a miracle of eight days. In the miracle of the winning of the war, Hashem himself appeared. But instead of God needing to overpower the world, the fact that he was there made everything, nature too, realize its true identity, and that is Hashem. And therefore, of course, everything in nature is consistent with God's will. So even a war which is being fought with natural by natural means, meaning a war where two armies are fighting with each other and you're shooting and you're shooting arrows and and bullets and ammunition and doing your fighting in the war, the outcome of the war naturally is extraordinary according to God's will. That's the ultimate display of Hashem's truth. So really, here's the thing. These two miracles, we said let's go back to the beginning of the class. These two miracles now work hand in hand. The miracle of of the miracle of the the miracle of the of the of the menorah was necessary. Because if the Jewish people would only have the miracle of victory of winning the war, if we would only have the victory of winning the war, then what would we then we would never know that God utterly transcends nature? We would think God is powerful, but He's And and He can have His way, but only within the construct of nature. We would never have the true victory over the Greeks. Of their limited view of God, we would never have that, we would never have the true victory. So we needed a miracle that utterly transcends nature to say the number 8 was revealed. But had we only had a miracle of number 8, we still would not know what's the true definition of the world. We would still think that there's a possibility when nature is, is 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 when God does not pause nature, but He allows nature to exist. Nature doesn't have to comply with God's will. It's an entity that has its own, it has its own soul, it has its own power. It runs on its own. So, in order to reveal that nature too is is Hashem, the miracle of Hanukkah, which is really the miracle of eight, instead of overpowering and bullying the world, gently danced with the creation. It gently made its way into the world, and within creation itself, the result was God's will happening in the natural form of a war, and we won the war. Now to connect that to what's to what's special in the year five seven seven eight, let's hear the numbers now. Let's hear the numbers. Seven seven eight. So let's understand what's happening over here. The, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said that the number 7, and he was talking about the number 770, is the number of the completion of the refinement of creation. When the world is completely refined, after all the Torah and mitzvot that we've done, and when we completely refine the creation, and the creation is in its perfect state, that's the, that's the notion of 770 has to do with the fact that the Lubavitcher Rebbe sent out his shaluchim to every continent, to every country, to every city, to every place to speed up the redemption, to complete the work of bringing every Jew to learn Torah and do mitzvahs, to connect everybody, so all of creation can reach its rectification. That's the number seven. Number eight is related to the revelation of the divine that tops it off after the world is perfect with its utter perfection now God can manifest from above so watch what's going on in the world something unbelievably spectacular in the year 1990 the Lubavitcher Rebbe announced to the world that the time of redemption has arrived and he said it was a prophecy he said it's a prophecy and he told everybody to reveal it and say it's a prophecy. But again, as we go back to the Hellenistic problem, even Hasidim, even people, believers and followers of a Rebbe can't bring themselves because it sounds so fanatical. Again, being stuck in What? being stuck in the mind, being stuck in the limitations of the mind. You have a tzaddik, a tzaddik who has proven himself for every word he said, a tzaddik that has affected the world like no other tzaddik, bringing holiness and godliness in an unbelievable way, a tzaddik who's rolling miracles every day, there's endless stories, a tzaddik who cared about every Jew, about every human being, so much light, he tells you clearly, hidden, is a prophecy, Mashiach is coming, and even Hasidim are afraid to say so. Because it doesn't make sense. Stuck in logic. reason, But the Rebbe said so, and the Rebbe said, we're already sitting in this world with Mashiach, we're already sitting by the table. Open your eyes. So I started learning a little bit more about Mashiach and opening my eyes. I think it's very, very clear. I spoke about the Hellenists, the Hellenist movement. America was dominated in the previous administration by a Hellenistic movement, a war against God. Whoever doesn't see it is blind, blind, blind. It was a war against Jerusalem. It was a war against morality. It was a war against anything holy and godly, and God said no more. It's over. When did it all change? In the year 577. I don't care. I'm going to say this a million times. Please, people don't get me. They just don't understand what I'm saying, and it's so frustrating. I couldn't care less about Donald Trump. He means nothing to me but he's a divine agent. He's a human being. Not the most refined human being, but that's the whole point. The ultimate change happens when the lowest parts of the world synchronize with God's will. And in 577, a man, out of nowhere, no one would believe, became pre- announced in 5775 in 5, that he would be president. In 577, when we're dealing with the complete rectification, refinement of the world, When Donald Trump himself was 70 years old, seven months and seven days, is is this not, you can look it up, it's his birthday. Seven months, seven, seven, 70 years old, seven, seven months and seven days, on January 20th, on the day of his inauguration. Now, how did it happen? It happened in in seven, it didn't happen in number eight. What do I mean it happened in seven, it didn't happen in number eight? The previous Klippa that was in the world did not get broken through some divine intervention. There was an election. But based on all statistics of this election, you see what we spoke about the war before. If you had military analysis, uh, analysis of the war of the Jews against the Greeks, we would lose. Based on every prediction, we would lose. If they were betting on it in Vegas, we would lose. On every level, we would lose. It was clear that this election was not going to Donald Trump. It was going to the other side. And then this crazy upset becomes president in the year 5777. And what does he do? Begins tearing down the clipper by just saying again and again, fake news, you're a bunch of liars. You're lying, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. And when I was screaming last year that Mashiach is coming, my dear friends, I'm telling you Mashiach is coming. Again, what? You know, what? where and when? Comes the year 5778. And last week we experienced already the number 8. It's 7-7 seven, seven, and the 8 on top of the 7. He makes a declaration that Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people. This is huge. This is huge. And for him to do that is not irrational. Everybody said, you know, he's trying to, you know, he he doesn't have enough enemies. He doesn't have enough problems. It's the last thing he needs. Why in the world did he make that declaration? There's no explanation. It's nothing other than the time of the redemption has arrived. Yerushalayim belongs to us. I woke up with this most beautiful feeling today in the morning. What was my thought that occurred to me? As soon as I woke up, before I did anything, no moida'ani, no washing, negovaser, I was in bed and I had this most beautiful feeling. Once the unholy conceded that Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people, this already, and you, and, and you saw the Arabs shut down the lights. You see how God is doing? The lights that night, it was the 19th of Kislev, the lights of the, of the Al-Aqsa, whatever, garbage, was shut down, and the Koso was shining with such a bright light. Such a bright light. They decided that to protest against us, they're going to shut their own light. And the light of the coastal was shining. So, what does that mean to, to me? It's clear that in the year 5778, now that the Asav, the world of Asav, the world of Klippa conceded and said, Jerusalem is ours, it belongs to the Jewish people, the Shechinah now comes down to dwell once the Shechina comes down to jail in Jerusalem, the speed of the miracles that are going to be happening over the next couple of months. Yes, the Klippas are thundering, they don't like it. They're bujeving, I don't know, whatever you want to use the word. They're so upset they don't know what to do with themselves. But without any doubt that Moshiach is mamish happening in front of our eyes and we as Jews should be happy, we should be full of joy this Hanukkah. We should light the menorah with such mashiach energy and start living in Mashiach consciousness because we realize this year is the ultimate Hanukkah. What's the ultimate Hanukkah? The eight is riding above the seven. The miracle of Hanukkah was a miracle of seven and a miracle of eight coming together. This year is the ultimate Hanukkah. The Hanukkah of five, seven, seven, eight.
0: And you're my friend, and you're my enemy. And you're the one I love, and you're Shama, Odi Shama, Gamta.